1: Welcome into the QB Go Show. This is episode 24, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, here to break down the quarterbacks around the league coming into the draft is QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him at Mark Schofield and the 15,000 places that he writes for Mark. How you doing, brother?
2: Getting ready to talk some Clayton Darson. There's nothing else I would rather do on May 8th, 2019, (laughs) in the year of our Lord. Although, our historical reference today, speaking of May 8th, which is the day we are recording this, had he been alive today, it would be kind of a shock, but Harry Truman would be 135 years old. He was born on May 8th, (laughs) 1884 in Lamar, Missouri. And now, Michael, one of the great things about post-draft life in the football media world is we actually get to catch our breath, which means I get to go back to like reading books. And now the gentle listeners know that I've been reading Presidents of War by Michael Bachelos. I've referred to this earlier, but took a little backseat as I did some draft stuff. for that. of course, I had to rip through A Night of the Seven Kingdoms as well as Fire and Blood because I like some good, tight writing when it comes to Game of Thrones stuff, not what we've seen recently, but that's a story for another time. Mm. And so I've returned to Mr. Bachelos' work. And let's talk about Harry Truman for a second, who, again, would have been 135 today because Because we all sort of remember him, you know, drop the bomb and all things like that. But he's a bit of a shady dude. He was really good friends with Fred Vinson, an ex-congressman from Kentucky, who also happened to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Like they were in a regular poker game together. They would talk about politics. They would talk about cases. And when he was a lame duck, Truman seized the American steel companies because they had threatened to sort of go on strike because they had not reached a new contract. This was in the middle of the Korean War. And the reason why he did that, or at least felt comfortable doing that, was because of his buddy. And I'm reading from Mm. Beschloss's piece here. Hidden from the public for decades was in planning his steel seizure. Truman had grossly violated the constitution of separation of powers. Before taking this audacious action, he had secretly confided his plan to Vincent, asking the chief justice whether the Supreme Court would uphold it. Vincent told him not to worry the president had gone ahead. (laughs) Like, what? And when he did go ahead – The steel companies responded to the seizure by suing the federal government, and United States District Court Judge David Pine issued an injunction. On June 2nd, the Supreme Court found Truman's action unconstitutional by six to three. (laughs) So he went to his boy, the chief justice, saying, look, can I do this? And he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Now make your bet here. So he does it. And he loses a court and he loses his mind. Shocked by the court's ruling, Truman privately called it crazy. In a letter he did not send, he angrily wrote Justice William O. Douglas, a different judge on the Supreme Court. I don't see how a court made up of so-called liberals could do what that court did to me. (laughs) I am going to find out just why before I quit this
1: office. (laughs) What Uh, a man. I like the so-called liberals part. We haven't had that in this I I, I like
2: (laughs) the aspect that – he can't let something go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like something has happened, say to me in the Supreme Court or on the timeline, and I could just let it go, be the bigger person. Nah, I need to chime in less. On well now, he didn't send that letter. Can only imagine what things would have looked like if he had.
1: Speaking of letting things go, that reminds me of the Pass rush versus pass coverage debate just hitting the timeline hard. And I'm hoping, oh. like, you know, some actual debate happens other than the pissing contest that is going around right now between, like, what is it? Joe Banner's involved. All of Pro yeah. Football Focus, the entire analytics Twitter community has assembled for this. And th- this is a topic that I actually want to talk about with the guys from Sports Info Solutions from. I might reach out to Edge Analytics, who I've talked with before, or a friend, uh, friend of the show, Frank Frigo there. When, whenever debates like this come up, I always
2: flash to, and this is, again, my, my Patriots bias here, but I flash to how Bill Belichick views things. And he has always said, when it comes to pass rush and it comes to coverage, they both kind of matter. <laughs> can't really have one without the other. Now, maybe the argument is you don't at least have Belichick has handled this over the years. You don't overpay for like a one man pass Russian crew. Like right. you could get schemed
1: up pass rush, but it still matter. When is when is Belichick ever overpaid for one position? ever over like a long period of time. Like on I the get- defensive side of the ball, yeah. You can make an argument that he has paid or overpaid at
2: two, maybe two positions. Oh, it's really become one. The Adelius Thomas sign an outside linebacker. I think right. if you were to get Belichick, get a couple of adult beverages, get him in these cups He'd probably tell you that, look,
1: we missed on that one. Oh, definitely.
2: Darrell Revis
1: and Stephon Gilmore. Right. Gilmore is the one. Because how long was Revis there?
2: I mean, he was just there. Basically, they overpaid for like a one, potentially two-year kind of deal. But it was like an overpay for one year. Like, we're loaded up on coverage. It was the same year they got Brandon Browner and then Gilmore. Yeah. But at the same time, he's not like neglecting pass rush. He's – Yeah, Put together scheme stuff. He's got multiple ways to sort of take the skin off the cat, as I believe our good friend Michael Kist has phrased it. (laughs) You know, you sign Michael Bennett. You go out and, you know, you acquire some other piece type players. You know that you're going to need to generate schemed up pass rush. Yes, in today's NFL, there's an emphasis on getting the ball out quickly. But that's a scheme there on the offensive side of the ball that you sort of adapt to. So you try to take away the first read via coverage and then you have Mm -hmm. schemed pressure to get home via pass rush. They work in concert. The symbiotic relationship. Yeah, this idea that one part of it just doesn't matter. I wouldn't go that far, my friends.
1: So that's going to be an interesting debate throughout the summer. I guess that's what we're talking about. Last year was running backs don't matter. This year, it's pass rush versus pass coverage. I think we know which side of the coin Howie Roseman lands on as has, far as Has that he goes. invested in pass rush at all? Just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. Have, have they been successful
2: recently? Because I seem to remember the end of Super Bowl 52 and how that went down because uh, somebody near <laughs> our Hearts, i.e. me, spent the entire week terrified that they were going to kick
1: guys inside right to Russia you, you actually said I legitimately called the end of that Super Bowl the biggest thing that you were worried about when we talked about it beforehand was Brandon Graham kicking in and I think you actually mentioned Shaq Ever-Shack Mason Shaq as Mason. well yeah yeah, And how did yeah. that game end? You were terrified of it. And you know what? Brandon Graham just got paid. Yeah. So I here mean, we are.
2: Because it, it matters. I mean, you can't
1: ignore it. And look, even if you're splitting hairs and you're going, okay, well, maybe pass coverage matters just a pinch more than pass. They're so connected right. in how they work together. I don't think it really matters like what are we talking about here what kind of difference does that look like when you're building your roster like from a roster construction standpoint I don't get the difference in between them this is not what we were here no, talking about
2: but is it there sort of an offshoot of that that maybe it's more that tackling matters because if mm. the idea is look teams are getting the ball out so quickly to get the ball the ball to playmakers in space they're throwing it in less than 2 seconds Yes, you'd like to have somebody with sticky coverage there. But if not, you want somebody that's going to get that person to the ground because you're going to make three-yard throws, three-yard gains, not 15-yard gains. It's a Jim Schwartz thing. Yeah. And so isn't the idea that sort of you want guys that can tackle in today's NFL? And we hear so often that with the practice rules and the CBA, the tackling is bad and guys don't get to practice it. Belichick screams about tackling all the time. Maybe the argument is that forget everything else. Forget pass rush matters, coverage matters tackling matters imagine that the fundamentals yeah. back to the fundamentals everybody's grabbing 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 out there what the hell is going
1: on that's an interesting way to put it because jim schwartz definitely does put an emphasis on guys that can come up and tackle because you know he's playing the soft coverage and he wants to get up and kind of rally to the ball yeah. that's that's kind of the mo on defense there. So that's that's an interesting take on it we'll talk about it we'll run some numbers and then we'll yell at some people on the timeline. We'll totally lose our way. And it'll just devolve into some big circus that needs a time. And then we can over, start over
2: screaming it. about how bad two is.
1: is. That'll take us right into the
2: new yeah. year. It'll be amazing. It's like it's like my <laughs> wife says, What do you do when the season's over? Oh, you have no idea. Oh, we just giggle about everything all over again. She's like, Why are you watching Nate Stanley? A, I don't know, but B, that's what I have to do. That's my
1: job. Until I watch Cole McDonald. You heard it here first. He belongs to the QB1 conversation. Cole McDonald does, in fact, the quarterback out of Hawaii belong. You know the to...
2: only person who disagrees with that? Bryce Rossler. He doesn't like Coleman. Yeah. He's not a big fan.
1: We mentioned Cole McDonald in the chat. Yeah, he's and like – He I, was just I, super down. Nah, I, don't,
2: I don't think he's any good.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, Bryce, but we're going to have to call you on that one because I think you're hating on him. So, look – So obviously, you're watching quarterbacks this summer for next year's NFL draft. Now, coming into this year, I know you had watched some Clayton Thorson, maybe just a little bit. And I'm wondering how you felt about his game. Obviously, fifth round selection for the Philadelphia Eagles to come in and be QB3. Possibly the solution at the backup position if Nate Sudfeld were to walk and get paid in free agency. We'll see how that all plays out. I'm not too confident uh, in that at all but look how'd you feel about thorson's game coming into this year because i'm going to read a quote From a piece that you wrote back in 2017, let's take you back in time for a second. Quote, Thorson shows clean and crisp mechanics. We're going to talk about that. With a quick release and solid throwing motion, he's an athletic quarterback with the ability to move well in the pocket and can click and climb the pocket when pressure comes off the edge. He shows good velocity and placement, particularly on short and intermediate area throws. Thorson is good when pressured and rarely gets flustered, and accuracy and velocity can be maintained when he is on the move or forced to throw off-platform, unquote. Was there a point in time where you thought Thorson could be a day-two guy? Because what we heard from Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, was that they pulled 10 teams coming into the 2018 season, and he said all of them graded Thorson out as a potential second or third rounder. Mark, your thoughts?
2: There was certainly a time I looked at him as a guy that with a solid final season— would be in that sort of day two mix. And, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, the summer scouting process, we're alluding to it starting. I know you're doing some stuff both at the pro and college level. I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the process that I undergo starting now this time of year, each year is going back and watching games on the potential next class. And in many cases, these guys don't come out. I will watch – Everybody that is eligible, that I think is a draftable guy. Like last year, I watched. Last summer, I watched 40 players. Hmm. That gave me going into this year already four games watched of Clayton Thorson. I had watched Iowa and Illinois from 2016, and then so the prior to what you quoted from there before the 2017 season, I had those two games in. Then last summer, you know, I watched Nevada 2017 and Bowling Green 2017. I have an ongoing process of evolving notes on him, and you know what you quoted from was yeah. my initial impressions of him, which is, again, crisp mechanics, looks the part, good velocity, particularly in the short and intermediate areas of the field, good placement on those throws as well. Doesn't often get flushed versus pressure. He shows you the ability to click and climb. And then when I watched some of the 2017 games, I added to that some good play speed, good comfort level in the pocket okay footwork in and around the pocket. You can see examples of him learning in game. And I love to see that. We mentioned Cole McDonald. I'm doing a piece on him right now of him learning in game as well. But I love to see sort of when quarterbacks make a mistake or miss something and then rectify it immediately in game. Right, Like it's one thing when you see them miss like a corner blitz or miss an open read. And then the next week they see something similar and they adjust and make up for it. But it's another thing where they learn on the fly. I mean, that shows you coachability. That shows you process and speed. And so you saw some of that coming in till last year. Now, the problem with last year is he had the knee injury. You know, he suffered it in the bowl game. And I think that hamstrung him a bit, for lack of a better phrase, because that movement skills, the ability to click and climb – the mobility that he had was diminished. I mean, we see this so often. Again, this is obviously, it's an Eagle show. We've talked about quarterbacks suffering a lower body injury and yeah. how that could impact them going forward. We saw some of that in Thorson. So I think based on their preliminary evaluations of him, as with mine, this was a guy that was probably in that sort of day two mix. It's just he had that drop-off last
1: year, at least at the start of the year, partly because of the knee injury. So looking at his analytics from 2018, let's go to that season. And I'm using the PFF draft guide here. Low average depth of target, 41st in the class, a 46.8 quarterback rating under pressure with three touchdowns, eight interceptions, completed 31% of his deep passes with a 40th ranked deep ball, adjusted accuracy percentage. Then for his career, 61 touchdowns, and 45 interceptions, a sub-60% completion percentage. Always a red flag for some people. 6.3 yards per attempt, pretty low. Also has the ACL injury in his past, like you mentioned. Yet the NFL seemed to really like him. From what everything we were hearing, the Eagles select him in the fifth round above a guy like Gardner Minshew. Um, I think Tyree Jackson was the real surprise as well, not going before him. I feel like I'm going to be repeating myself here, but what would the Eagles see in him to make him worthy of that selection? Is it his processing speed, his quick release on hit and throw timing routes, his toughness I've heard talked about a lot? Like, what's the sell with Thorson?
2: I think with Thorson, it starts with the mental perspective, the mental hmm. processing side of it. because. You know, It's a watered-down discussion of what we were having with Dwayne Haskins. Remember the Haskins discussion? We, I loved him from the mental side of things, from the huddle to the throw. I thought he was one of the better quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in this draft class because of the way he reads, diagnoses, and decides. But then sometimes the execution wouldn't be there. It's similar with Thorson. I mean, for example, you talk about his game against Notre Dame this past year, uh, 2018. And there's a play in the third quarter. It's a first and 10 at the minus 48. They've got the Ohio concept, you know, with the slot receiver running an out and a boundary go to the right. He comes off of it. Then he has a dig backside, which is wide open, and he misses it badly. And it's one of those sort of set, reset, and throw moments where you might see a little bit of drop off in of the ball placement but because of the lower body lack of confidence in those set Mm. and reset and throw moments, which were a strength for him at times. They were a bit of a disappointment with him last year, but you have the mental process. He sees the concept to the right covered. He comes backside, and this is all of an RPO design. He has the dig route, which is open. So everything about the process is what you want from the quarterback. He just misses on the throw. You know, same thing, a slant flat concept earlier in the game off of a mesh concept. Uh, a mesh, I mean, a mesh in the backfield. And he's got a post wheel to the other side and he reads all four of them, gets through four reads, misses on the throw. So you have the mental part of it checked off. It's just the execution. And if you've sat down with him, you've sat down with his coaches and he's like, look, you know, I had the knee injury. Then it led into an ankle injury. I was banged up. That's why I didn't go to mobile because of these lingering injuries. I wasn't 100% this entire year, but the mind yeah. was. And you've seen on film that, look, the mental part is there. It's just a matter of fixing the execution. If you firmly believe that it was mostly a matter of injury, then you're probably looking at a guy that is still that day two pick that you're getting now in the fifth round. I mean, I think that's sort of best case evaluation standpoint when you're looking at him and where he could draft him.
1: Yeah, so I can see where that projection would come in as far as, you know, like all the love coming for him into the season. He has the injury. You, the mental part, part is is there. And then the Eagles go, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe it is having a lot to do with the injury. Maybe this is something we can develop and get more value out of because we think that he can be a higher ceiling prospect than what he was able to show last year. So maybe there's some untapped potential. Maybe without the injury, you know, he takes the necessary step forward in his game to be a better quarterback.
2: Uh, Another thing to mention with him is anticipation because this is also that sort of window into the mental process of a quarterback because if you have to be a see it throw it, if you're relying on the route to come open, you're throwing it too late. I mean, there's that great Antonio Brown quote when Ben Roethlisberger was hurt, Landry Jones had to play in, it was a CBS game and i think it was before tony romas times so it was probably phil sims and nance and they were talking about sitting down with landry jones and he was saying that antonio brown told him look if i see you throw the ball it's too late like you got to get it out hmm. before the break otherwise defenders are going to break on it i'm not going to be able to make the catch yeah. Two of his plays against Minnesota, I think, exemplify his ability to anticipate windows and not just to the outside where it's easy, but between the hash marks and over the middle where it's tougher. I mean, the first is a switch concept to the left. It's a curl route. They switch stop it and he gets it out before the break even is contemplated, let alone started by the wide receiver. And that's again to the outside. So it's a little easier. But another play in this game, it's a play-action play. They show on two high look. They rotate it to a single high, so he's reading the rolled safety look at the snap. He throws a dig route between the hash marks, finds a throw-in window between the underneath defenders, in front of the safety on the single high look. That's an NFL-style throw. And it's also one of those examples of quarterback being smart. Don't throw over linebackers. Throw between them. Now you know, I saw this oh. in a coaching clinic a couple of months ago. You know, if you try to throw over linebackers, you're either going to throw it to the safety or you're not going to get enough on it. You're going to end up throwing it right to the linebacker. But you throw between them, you find those throwing lanes. And so that's, again, the mental process, the anticipation. He checks those boxes. So now it's just a matter of like we were talking about. If you trust your people in-house, if you trust your evaluation, if you trust what you're hearing from and it is just a matter of, look, he wasn't healthy,
1: but we can get him there. You might have something. Yeah, and I think the Eagles have a lot of faith in their coaching staff to coach up quarterbacks. There's a, a big-time support system in there. They've done well with resurrecting the career of Nick Foles, developing Carson Wentz, and also Nate Sudfeld as well, who they picked up off the practice squad. So when we come back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 24, we're going to be talking a little more about Thorson, maybe maybe about who he reminds me of, and then uh, who knows, maybe some Game of Thrones talk. That's right after this here on Bleeding Green Nation. And we are back on the QB SCO show episode 24 talking about Clayton Thorson, fifth round selection of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mark, I was telling you before the show, and this is, I, I hope this gets misquoted clipped up I'm gonna do it myself but I'm telling you when I when I watch Thorson and it's very important to say that when I watch Thorson from the end zone view not from the all 22 because you could see more happen and things kind of fall apart but when you watch Thorson from the end zone view right and he's 6'4 he's 222 and he's got 18 on his back and he's got like that choppy footwork where he's able to reset real quickly and he's got the quick release and I'm thinking this guy er everything before the throw and if you don't see everything else going on, he just kind of looks like Peyton Manning. Did he Did you did get Peyton, Peyton – I'm not – okay, number one. Definitely not saying he is Peyton Manning, again. But just the look of his style of movement looked like Peyton Manning.
2: You Google Clayton Thorson, Peyton Manning, and the first four results are this. First is a story from the Chicago Tribune. Clayton Thorson's father was a mouse Kuiper sleeper in the 1990 draft. And you can see the cashier swear Thorson is Peyton Manning. Second story is after Stint with Mannins, again from the Chicago Tribune because, look, Northwestern. After Stint with Mannins is Clayton Northwestern's Thorson thinking draft. And then I'll skip the third one because there's the fourth, which is Clayton Thorson out to win a spot in the Eagles quarterback room. And that's from Eagles Eagles PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And he's Thorson said, look, I grew up watching Peyton Manning and I emulated my game after him. Then there's the third result, (laughs) which is a tweet. I'm not saying Clayton Thorson is Peyton Manning. I'm not saying that. And it's a tweet from Michael J. Kiss. So now you are the number four result – I mean number three result when somebody Google searches Clayton Thorson, Peyton Manning. How does that
1: feel? Look, we've never seen them in the same room together. we
2: haven't. (laughs) We haven't. That's that's what's interesting, Mike, because – Justice Biscata, we've talked about him on this show before. We've talked about him a couple of times. we will drop some nuggets on the timeline. And he said this a while ago. We're getting into the generation of quarterbacks that didn't grow up watching Joe Montana. They grew up watching Brett Favre and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And we're seeing more guys that are trying to either be Manning or be like Favre instead of guys that are being like careful with the ball. These guys are going to take some more risks. And Thorson was a guy that, you know, he said he grew up watching Peyton Manning. And this is we sort of emulated his game out. I mean, this is a quote from him. I grew up watching Peyton Manning. I think I take things from each quarterback I watch, but I try to be myself. And who that is is a guy who can slin it with our offense at Northwestern. And here we go. It's like we know what we're talking about. I was able to learn how to throw the ball with a lot of anticipation and tight windows. Mm. I mean, but but so it's it doesn't surprise me that you might see some mannerisms similar to Peyton Manning. I mean, if that's what you tried to be. We were all kids once. Some of us still are kids. You go out in the backyard, you think, all right, here I am, Yeah. player X dropping back, fourth down to the Super Bowl. I did it with Joe Montana. I did it with John Elway. Yeah, Clayton Thorsten did it with Peyton Manning. And you start to sort of have those same mannerisms in the backyard, and that translates to the pop water field, and it translates to the high school fields. And if you've emulated your game after a player, it's no surprise that he might look the part. He wears a Yeah. <laughs> now- Again, similar to the discussion we were having, the process is there. The, the, the like huddle to release is there. And so you could yeah. say that in all those aspects, it looks like number 18. But then there's the execution part of it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's where- that you put out, which again, is now one of Google's top search results of the 2019 <laughs> year. You know, it, it was a throw that... Let's just say it didn't quite reach its intended target.
1: Yeah, he be banged it off the guards, uh, the back of the guards' helmet, and yeah. went up for an interception. He had to go make a tackle. So, like I like I said, from the end zone angle, if you look at everything leading up to the throw, I mean, it it looks like Peyton. And look, Peyton Manning, I don't think is his ceiling. So let's talk about his ceiling. What do you think is a realistic expectation for Clayton Thorson's ceiling? In the nfl we'll put it at let's put his projection at three years
2: you know i i think obviously this is going to be a redshirt type of season for him i mean i don't Mm -hmm. think they're looking at him to see the field barred something horrific happening i i think if you want to say that this pick was a win for philadelphia in three years you're probably looking at are we looking at
1: him like we look at nate sudfeld now is that a win
2: i think that's the win I think okay. this pick was made to steal yourselves for Nate Sudfeld moving on next year. Right. And so you want to be able to replace Nate Sudfeld and maybe, maybe get a little bit more. And so a win for Philadelphia is maybe Nate Sudfeld plus out of Clayton Thorson. And that's the great thing about smart franchises. You know, I just get done looking at Helday Froho, the new left guard for the New England Patriots, kid from Arkansas. Watched this game against Alabama, matched up against Quentin Williams. He fared pretty well. Williams did not get a solo tackle. He had one tackle for a loss, and it was when Holt was on the sideline. Now, you might think, why? They have one of the best interior offensive lines, Super Bowl 52 aside, in the National Football League. Why do they do that? Well, Joe Thuny, their left guard, is due to be a free agent at the end of this next season. And he's currently making like 800000 a year. He's going to look and want like Brandon Sheriff money for like 3 $4, 5000000 Patriots might not do right. that, haven't just given Shaq Mason a big contract. And so they draft this guy. They'll get a year to figure it out. And then if Thune moves on and they can't get a deal done and they've developed Froholt, they slide him in. If they have it, well, they can still get somebody in next year's draft. It's the same thing. Forward-thinking franchises are the smart ones. And Howie Roseman and the Eagles, they're a forward-thinking crew. So they've drafted Clayton Thorson. Like we sort of thought they would draft a quarterback because of Nate Sudville potentially exploring free agency and moving on because he might be one of the better quarterbacks absent like a breeze situation in next year's free agency class. And so that's what I think you're hoping for, is Thorson becomes Sudfeld 2.0, maybe a little bit better, because I think at least when I evaluated both of these guys, I was higher on Thorson coming out than I was Sudfeld.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's interesting that the Eagles went with somebody in a quarterback class that both of us really didn't like, that they went with somebody whose evaluation kind of got muddy because of the circumstances with his injury. So maybe there's some more there than we see. I'm still not in love with the pick. I know you're not in love with the player, but there are some things to take away. We can kind of see the logic behind it.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's a great. But we can see the logic behind it. Like we wouldn't have done it. Like I don't want to – I am not gentle listeners. Put <laughs> drinks down. Just calm down. I am not making the comparison here. Although you could always say I, if I am, it's a win for you guys. but. You know, the Daniel Jones pick at six. I can see the logic behind it because if he was your top right quarterback and other teams had him QB1 and you have the two picks, like just get him at six. Like, don't play around with it. Yeah, like, go get
1: him. Go get him. You, like, you can't mess around.
2: You know, and obviously we're talking about a guy that was drafted in the fifth round. Like, if you see the logic behind it, okay. That's the yeah. difference between sort of evaluation and valuation, especially for those of us on the outside, because we don't have all the information. And we're sitting here speculating that they were talking to Thorson and others and they got a better feel for him and felt better about where he was because of the injury or whatever. We're guessing there. Well, we get 1% of the information these NFL teams get. Sometimes we still get it yeah. right. Sometimes we don't. But the Eagles obviously yeah. had all the information available to them. They felt comfortable about it. So given their track record recently, I think, okay,
1: you can see the logic behind it. You can see where it could make sense. Mark, good chat on Clayton Thorson. I think I think we did it. I think we did the thing.
2: Can I just say, it might not be, but this is close to probably the last podcast where I really have to sit down and talk about this 2019 draft class. Say it. Oh, thank God the lord it's done it is done i can put this class to bed i'm taking the binder i'm chucking it out the room there it goes jeez
1: that's a heavy thing see ya
2: that's just the senior bowl binder that's not the full class binder ed next year we're going digital kids yeah no more pen and paper i'm digitizing it up i'm moving into the 20th century i'm a man i'm 42
1: (laughs) I love it. Next, we get to talk about Tua. We get to talk about QB1, Cole McDonald, who Bryce Rossler hates. We get to talk about from Jordan um, Love, DeArra
2: Kane, the kid of Houston. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of good. This, uh, it feels like this next class, maybe this next couple classes for the quarterback position is going to be a breath of fresh air.
2: It, it's already started, though, because I put a, a piece on Waldman's site with just a very early, like, these are some quarterbacks you might want to watch. Mm. And you know, I, I listed guys like Jake Fromm, for example. Yeah. We've talked about Fromm. We're not sold on him, yeah. but I instantly had people in the mentions like Fromm should not come out at all. He's it's way too early for him. <laughs> Just like, oh, man, it is May. Yeah. Okay, oh <laughs> right, it's gonna be a fun another year here in football, football.
1: I don't know how people are so firm on these quarterbacks coming into this year. They change all the time. I mean, they have to. They're going to either. Take a step forward from where they are, and that could be a a big win for them for their draft stock. They could be the same person, and then you got to figure out why that is, because if you're not moving forward, you're probably moving backwards. Or they could very clearly move backwards. That can happen to any single one of these quarterbacks. So right now, let's just focus on, number one, what they can do well, where they win, and number two, where they need to improve, what we're looking for next season, right?
2: We're in the way-too-early-marked draft season, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Let's remember— October 2013, way too early mock draft. Peter King and was told by an NFL scout that as many as nine quarterbacks could receive first-round grades. The nine quarterbacks included Taj Boyd, Aaron Murray, Braxton oh, Miller. I remember that class. Okay? That was awesome. I
1: mean, I, I, June, In June of 2011,
2: there was an early mock first-round quarterbacks, Matt Barkley, Landry Jones. I mean, there's a lot that can change.
1: Yeah, I remember that Barkley thing. Barkley was like a first-round lock. People thought he should have came out that year, and then the next year he hurts his shoulder, his stock plummets, and then it turns out he's not very good.
2: You also had some early first-round mocks that had guys like Connor Cook in the first round. Oh, boy.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, you had some early mocks that had... Jay
1: Patterson last year was getting mocked in the first.
2: He's getting mocked in the first again now. I think I saw one with him. And so a lot can change. Another example of it, and this is a quarterback I liked, Brad Kaya. He got first-round mocks. These are just watch lists. So much will change between now and then that we don't know who's coming out. So just watch these guys. Get a baseline on them. Don't set yourself up on hills. Like this is about learning not deciding right
1: now yeah that said cole mcdonald qb1 i mean throw that out
2: the window cole mcdonald is quarterback one (laughs) he is the prince that was promised he is azora high he was born out of salt and smoke
1: so that's gonna do it for the qp sco show episode 24 thank you so much mark and remember if you haven't done so yet smash that subscribe button hit five stars Write a funny review or we'll read it on the show if we'd like what you have to say. But thank you for joining us for the QBS Go show here on Bleeding Green Nation.
0: BGN.